Hello and welcome to the Sincere Yogi Podcast, a podcast for yogis just like you who are seeking more from their yoga practice that you can't get in your average studio class. My name is Sarah and I'll be your host. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Today we're going to dive right back into our discussion of the five yoga yamas. The yoga yamas are the ethical principles of the yoga practice and the very first limb to the eight-limbed path of yoga. Now, before we dive into the fourth yama, which is brahmacharya, if you have not listened to the previous episodes, On the first three yoga yamas, I highly recommend backtracking and listening to those first. The reason is that all of these practices build off of one another. So when we have the knowledge of the first few yamas in our minds, learning the rest of the yamas and niyamas, we can start to see how these practices play off of one another in order to create that greater experience of yoga both on our mat and in our daily lives. Now, if you've been keeping up with the episodes, then let's dive in to today's topic of brahmacharya. Traditionally, brahmacharya meant celibacy, which is not how it's often described in practice today, and there's numerous reasons for that which we will also be exploring in this episode. But what we often hear brahmacharya referred to today in the Western or more modern teaching of yoga is non-excess. And when we put the traditional practice of celibacy with this idea of non-excess, then we can look at brahmacharya as non-excess of sexual activity or non-excess of pleasure. Traditionally, looking at the idea of celibacy, it's first and foremost important to recognize that yogis thousands and thousands of years ago had very different cultural practices. To follow your spiritual path usually meant removing yourself from your current lifestyle so that you wouldn't get distracted, so that you could practice your mantra, your meditation. You devoted your life to these practices and oftentimes relied on the good of the community for things such as food, shelter, and so on. So this type of removal from society also lended itself to other types of restraints, and one of those was celibacy, which was a little easier to maintain when you chose to devote your life to that spiritual path. Nowadays, people come to yoga for a multitude of reasons and at many different points in their life. So if you have a family or a partner, this doesn't mean that you can't practice aspects of brahmacharya now, nor does it mean that by being intimate with your partner or having a family, you will never be a good yogi and reach a state of an equanimous mind. This all becomes a greater practice of self-restraint when it comes to the idea of pleasure. 
Not that we can't live a life with pleasure, not that we can't allow ourselves to experience pleasure, but we should not be living our lives for pleasure alone. We'll always end up running away from discomfort, which will deter us on any type of spiritual or growth-based path. Aside from lessening distractions in someone's personal spiritual path, Brahmacharya goes a little deeper into the energetics of the yoga practice. Prana, or vital life energy, is believed to reside in all living things. And when we practice yoga, we are in the practice of getting in tune with not only our physical and emotional bodies, but our energetic bodies as well. By awakening our energetic body, by removing blockages in our nadis or energetic channels, our energy can flow more efficiently through our body and can be used to reach higher states of consciousness and eventually enlightenment. Now, looking at prana and the idea of intimacy, there's a lot of energy that gets built up and then released through the act of intimacy. So not only are we expelling a lot of our very own prana when we go into these intimate acts, but we are also exchanging prana with whoever we are being intimate with. So not only is it important to be intentional about when we choose to share this aspect of our being, but it's also important to be intentional about who we share our energy with, knowing that we are going to take on some of their energy as well. Always moving forward with intention, understanding the energetic exchange that goes into these intimate moments. Being intentional with your energy also means honoring when you are feeling low energy and depleted. That would not probably be the best time to be intimate with your partner. This also means honoring others' feelings as well, others' time, others' energy. And honoring that boundary for yourself and for others is incredibly important in the practice of brahmacharya. So you can already see how culture and societal norms have shaped the way that brahmacharya is currently practiced. So then the big question that most people have is, if I am intimate, if I do have a relationship, will that hinder me finding enlightenment one day? Truthfully, I don't know. Do I think you're going to find enlightenment in this lifetime anyway? Honestly, no. I don't think I will. I don't think many of us will. The biggest thing with brahmacharya is truly starting to find that energetic connection, is truly starting to honor your own divine being, to honor your physical body, honor your energy, and make sure that you aren't giving more than you should be taking for yourself, which seems like a very selfish act. But when we can conserve some of this prana for ourselves, when we can build up this prana for ourselves, we can then use that prana to help pierce through our nadis or energetic channels and once again, reach those higher states of consciousness. If you are intimate, do I think that you will never find an equanimous mind? Absolutely not. I think that you can have a successful, loving relationship. I think you can explore intimacy with others and still find that peaceful, equanimous state of mind. Of course, when we have this type of relationship with others and we are exchanging this energy, it's very important to keep up with our own spiritual practices so that we don't get distracted by the pleasure of it all, so that we don't get 
distracted by some of the emotional ties. It's very hard to practice intimacy with a lot of partners and also practice non-attachment. So we can start to see how brahmacharya plays into the greater aspects of the yoga practice. And even bringing brahmacharya back into our practices of ahimsa, which is nonviolence, bringing it back into the space of truthfulness and non-stealing, we can apply all of these principles to our intimate relationships and practices. So when we look at non-excess, look at it as non-excess of pleasure, look at it from that energetic perspective of ensuring that we are not giving more than we're taking, of ensuring that we have that prana for our own spiritual practices, and we're not dispersing our prana without intention into the world and therefore harming our own spiritual progression in the process. I will say that there is validity in broadening the idea of brahmacharya as non-excess. I do think it bleeds a little bit into the next yama, but I do believe that Deborah Adele, author of The Yamas and Niyamas, Exploring Yoga's Ethical Practice, she takes the concept of brahmacharya and flips it 360 degrees back to itself and refers to non-excess in your very own spiritual practice. Which, when we look at the traditional practice of celibacy, it seems very extreme. It's hard to imagine somebody intentionally being celibate nowadays in a modern society. Not that it doesn't happen. We see it in many cultures and their religious practices, but it's not a very typical path. So when she flips brahmacharya back onto itself with non-excess of the spiritual path, It's almost questioning that very extreme practice of celibacy in and of itself. And the way that she dives into non-excess of the spiritual path is keeping your humility as you go, is not getting so caught up in our spiritual path that we then become self-righteous, that you then start to that you then start to judge others for their lack of a spiritual practice or presence. When we do this, we are no longer in alignment of ahimsa, which is non-harming. We are no longer in alignment of truthfulness because we are being very hypocritical and not practicing what we would then be preaching. So not only do we want to ensure that we keep this level of humility, but we also don't want to denounce ourselves from any ounce of pleasure within the world. We don't want to be too attached to pleasure. We don't want to live for pleasure, but we can absolutely have lived experiences of pleasure. But there's a difference between allowing yourself to experience pleasure and actively chasing pleasure itself. When you actively chase pleasure, when you actively chase this spiritual path, you then start to get distracted by the physical, the sensations of pleasure, the physical manifestations of pleasure, the excess of pleasure. And this isn't just referring to intimacy, but once again, when it starts to get into pleasure of possessions, pleasure of the physical manifestations, then the idea of not chasing pleasure becomes more an act of a parigraha than brahmacharya. 
I do love that Deborah Adele explores the idea of brahmacharya outside of strictly celibacy. And when she flips it back on itself, we do start to gain a deeper understanding of not necessarily brahmacharya as strictly celibacy, but we can start to build a practice of brahmacharya that works for us in our spiritual path. And we can still take this idea of non-excess energetically onto our yoga mat. So whether we're referring to celibacy for its energetic practices or we're referring to brahmacharya and, and the practice of conserving our own energy, when we are in the practice of yoga asana on our yoga mat, we can go back to this idea of honoring where we are, of not being in excess with our asana practice, and ensuring that we are allowing our asana practice to be an exploration of energy and a very energizing practice in the end, leaving us feeling rejuvenated and more grounded and connected rather than asana practice being more or less this physical exertion of energy. We're actually harnessing, exploring, and playing around with our energy within our asana practice. And we're going to dive more into the idea of energy and asana when we talk about the asana practice within the eight-limbed path of yoga. So don't worry because that's coming up in a future episode. So I'm going to leave Brahmacharya with that for here now. As always, thank you for tuning in. If you liked this episode, please rate, subscribe, leave a review. Every little bit counts. If you would like to get your hands on that book by Deborah Adele, The Yamas and Niyamas, Exploring Yoga's Ethical Practice, I will leave the link for you below. As always, it's been a pleasure having you here. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining me on the Sincere Yogi Podcast. If you want to deepen your yoga and meditation practice, check out my workshops and masterclasses on the Playbook app, or join my guided meditation series on Insight Timer. If you just want to stop by, say hi, and see what's up, you can find me at The Sincere Yogi on Instagram. Thank you.